Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Part of the Rewatching Good TV Network. It's Ragnar Cast, a Vikings podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to the RagnarCast, a podcast dedicated to Vikings on the History Channel. This is episode 10 of the podcast, where we are covering the mid-season finale of Vikings on the History Channel, season 4, episode 10, The Last Ship, which was written by showrunner Michael Hurst and directed by Jeff Wolna. It aired on the... 21st of April 2016 and was viewed by an estimated 2.398 million viewers. Let's just round that up and say 2.4 million viewers. Uh, a nice strong showing for the mid-season finale of Vikings. My name is Matt Murdick and I am from ragnarcast.wordpress.com. That's R-A-G-N-A-R-Cast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like how you can contact me, like RagnarCast at gmail.com or at RagnarCast on Twitter or by calling 314-669-1840 and leaving a voicemail as our buddy Matt did this week. It's also where you can find back episodes of the podcast and iTunes and Stitcher Store page links where you can go and leave me a written review for the podcast, which helps me stay noticeable among the other Vikings podcasts and also helps me to improve the show. And I do want to issue a quick thanks to Fat Monster in the U.S. iTunes store for their review. I think I know who that is because they tweet often at me. That's our buddy Matt, once again, uh, who helped us out with a review. Thank you very much, Matt, for that review. And before we get into talking about the episode specifically, we do have segments in this podcast uh, where I ask for feedback from all of our great listeners. And we got quite a bit this week. One of the things that we do right at the top of the podcast is I kind of troll Twitter or troll you guys on the podcast to send me your favorite quotes, what you thought were the best quotes of the episode. We call those the Ragnarisms around here. And we got lots of responses this week, but many of them were for the same quote. So uh, first, at Fat Monster on Twitter, that's Matt, thank you very much, said, My favorite quote of the week is uncharacteristically from Floki calling out Rolo. That's a very good one, Matt. Thank you. Uh, at Cute Poison 10, that's our friend Christine. Their Ragnarism was Ragnar's outburst at the end. Failing that, if everyone chooses that, I will go with Bjorn and his brothers talk. Well, it's funny that you should say that, 
because it's actually your second choice was the one that everybody else uh, kind of went for. Like at XHanna91, that's our friend Shanna, says, My Ragnarism is the Lothbrook sons discussing their father. At Mischief Forever, just one F in there on Twitter. That's Jenny, uh, says, When Bjorn is talking to his brothers about Ragnar. An email from Bridget, who normally calls in with a voicemail, but she had to do an email this time around. She sent in her Ragnarism saying, Bjorn to his brothers, despite all his failings, he is still the greatest man in the world to me. And added, I say Skull, Bjorn Skull. He was so awesome in season one. Uh, Very good. Now, so we have several that are basically from the same scene. Mine, however, is a little different. And you guys are probably going to start screaming at your phones or your iPods or however you're listening to this particular podcast. You're going to say, traitor, traitor. But actually, my favorite quote was Rolo's big speech to his men, the way he got them all riled up to go and ram into the Viking little additions there. So we have all of that for you to listen to right here. All of my life and all of your lives have come to this point. There is nowhere else to be but here. Nowhere else to live or die but here. To be here now is the only thing that matters. So gather yourselves. Gather all of your strength and all of your sweetness into an iron ball. For we will attack again and again until we reach and overcome their king or we die in the attempt. Attack! 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 Will be a lot of anger in Kattegat. Now they know the truth. Our father betrayed a whole generation of people. So if he ever came back. I don't think he's ever going to come back. I think what happened in Paris finally broke him. You can all say whatever you want, but he was a human. People started to talk as if he was a god. He was not a god, he was a man. A man with many dreams and many failings. I've learned that in the years since he went away. If I was him, I wouldn't come back. Despite all his failings, he's still the greatest man in the world to me. Look at these people! They no longer support me! Look! Why would they? I am your leader, and I just left. What kind of leader does that, huh? What kind of king abandons his people? What kind of father abandons his son?
So who wants to be king? Do you know how this works? If you want to be king, you must kill me. about you no no anyone who wants to be king those were some great quotes folks thanks for submitting them in it was great to relive some of those moments from this mid-season finale and i guess we should start talking about the episode <laughs> probably first off as usual i should start this part of the discussion by saying a lot of my guesses about what might happen to these characters was pretty wrong I I honestly hope that you guys haven't minded this season that I've gone off on tangents from time to time or maybe I've done a little overanalyzing or made too many crackpot theories or perhaps even some crackpot analysis. But I have to say that these first 10 episodes of season four, they've certainly lended themselves to a lot of that kind of fun speculation and theorizing. So I've had a blast doing it. I've just been wrong about a lot of things like, you know, Floki possibly betraying Ragnar or about Helga being a lot more hurt than the Portage episode would have indicated and probably countless other things. Uh, But I can proudly say that I was right about at least one thing. I've been saying since very early on that Charles is more than he would appear. And that was definitely the case in his meal with Roland and Therese. He quoted things that have been said really between the two of them or between one of them and Odo. And uh, that means that he's been on the inside of all of that and, and sussing them out pretty much since the beginning. And now he's pretty much eliminated all threats to his throne in Paris in just a very few well-played strokes. And I guess you could say he even got to have a little fun for himself along the way, too. Uh, as would be indicated by last week's episode. But he really kind of used Roland and Therese to weed out Odo, and then knowing their intentions all along as well, either against himself or against uh, Rolo, the father of his grandchild coming, right? Um, he managed to weed them out, and he's now he's kind of washed his hands out of all of it. Now, I, I don't think that Charles's cowardice that we saw at the end of season three was feigned by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. But I do think that most of this season, he actually has been feigning that same kind of uh, indecision, paranoia kind of thing to set all of this up just so he could kind of let himself see who might try and take advantage of his feigned weaknesses. And he has uh, cleared it. And, And it would seem that, Rolo is the person that he actually trusts more than anyone else. And and while those reasons seem kind of unclear, I I don't think that he's feigning his trust for Rolo to Roland and Therese. I mean, why would you lie to a couple of people that you're going to kill anyway? Right? So I I think his, his trust is actually genuine. And maybe that's just because he feels like Rolo is the greatest chance he has of defending Paris against the Vikings uh, and his love for his daughter who obviously loves Rolo now uh, just over one any other kind of ambitions that anybody else might have 
And I got to be honest, as far as Roland and Teresa themselves go, I'm kind of relieved that we don't have to go through any more of this stuff with whips or incest or whatever, uh, at least seemingly not for now or in the immediate future of Paris. And I'm not going to place any more meaning into that whole statue of Mary crying uh, any more than it was just a way to misdirect us into thinking that Rollo was going to die as Gisla was was praying to the statue of Mary. Um, it, it would seem that Rollo uh, made it through okay, even though I will admit that uh, when he returned to Paris to receive his little Caesar crown, he he did not look very good. I mean, there's a chance since we did that time jump thing that he might not be there, though I suspect he has survived. But he certainly took a, a good beating from Ragnar and, and in his battle, just as much as he, he got as much as he gave. Let's just put it that way. And, and really, you know, when he returned, I really loved seeing that joy in Gisla. I, I enjoyed seeing her praying for her husband. I, I love that because you think of how that relationship has developed over just 10 episodes this season. It went from Gisla just like hating Rollo and finding him disgusting, to being totally in love and, and now praying for him. I, I think that um, that's a remarkably fun love relationship. And, and it's good to see that Rolo, you know, is, is kind of having his own day. And I, I know that, uh, like I said, you guys might think this traitor, traitorous, but I actually found myself rooting for Rolo in this battle. And that's why I, I made Rolo's speech my Ragnarism, basically. He inspired loyalty in his men in the same way that Ragnar has inspired that same kind of loyalty in the Vikings at times in the past. You know, and he's demonstrated brilliance and he's demonstrated determination. And Rolo is a guy that has always lived in Ragnar's shadow. And he finally got his moment in the sun in, in a lot more ways than one since deciding to abandon his own countrymen. He has a wife, he has a child coming, he has uh, this victory, you know. He probably feels like he, he staved off Ragnar for good. He would have probably tried to finish Ragnar if Ragnar had stayed on the boat, but he did let him go so he can feel okay about that. There's, there's a lot of things that's going Rolo's way right now and you can see how he could become that great leader of of the normans and and maybe do his own rating of england someday in the future there's something else about rollo here that i think really distinguishes him from ragnar ragnar has always had kind of a fascination with christianity um but i don't know that he was ever fully committed to it now that doesn't say anything about his relationship with Athelstan. I, his relationship with Athelstan was genuine. I don't think there was anything uh, really uh, feigned about that. But he did feign his Christianity, I think, in order to make a play uh, towards some other goals that he had. But Rollo here, it seems to me like he is truly converted. Uh, he uses God in his speech and and not just to inspire them i think i think that he honestly uh believes in this god 
and he uses God uh, in his toast, in his little victory toast when he returns and gets his little Caesar crown. So I think that he is actually a fully committed Christian at this point. Um, and that's, that's a huge difference um, than having Ragnar, who comes to this battle more so just out of revenge and still in a slight drug haze when he's battling with Rolo, whereas Rolo is defending his wife, his future child, his king, his country, and I think his God. And that kind of commitment, I think, is what might have made the difference, um, even if Ragnar had stayed on the boat. So uh, I just feel like this is a, a good win for Rolo. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what they do with him in the second half of the season. I will say this, though. I don't know if Rolo would have fared as well against Floki, because the same kind of passion I feel like Rolo has for his god, Floki remains having with, you know, the old Norse gods. And, and so I think Floki would have, even though Ragnar was fighting with passion out of revenge, um, Floki, just the same way he went after Athelstan, I think he would have gone after Rolo if he'd have had the chance. But there is also, you know, you almost have the feeling that if you want to put this in a mystical sense with the whole statue and all of that, you can look at it as if, you know, did the Viking gods abandon Ragnar? Because it's very clear that Ragnar is not, he's been wavering between Christianity and, and the old gods. And not only that, but uh, when like Lagertha asks Ragnar if the gods are favoring them, he doesn't give an answer, or at least it cuts away before he gives an answer. And Bjorn tries to give an answer, but that's not what Lagatha wants to hear. She knows that it has been Ragnar's connection with the gods in the past that have brought them great fortune. And so um, that's a moment that should have told you that things weren't going to go so well for, for Ragnar right then. But speaking of mysticism, I mean, all of the intercutting of the shots of the battle with the seer, that was fantastic, especially when you take all of these prophecies that we've been mulling over all season into context. And there was one even that was uh, rehashed in the previously, uh, where the bear shall be crowned by a princess, which does not bode well for you. So is that Rolo? Is Rolo the bear? And Gisla, you know, basically gave him a crown. Or is that Bjorn and uh, Aslog? Will Bjorn become king to supplant Ragnar? I'm not exactly sure whether that particular prophecy was directed towards the battle in Paris or directed towards the time jump, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, but you can see that through the seer's expressions, I mean, first it almost seems like he's excited that this is happening because if you couple that with his whole uh, prophecy with Floki and his prophecy with Ragnar um, about, you know, the day that Ragnar will die, then he can be relieved of his duties, so to speak, if, uh, if Ragnar does die and Floki becomes the new seer. But instead, what happens is, is when you have Lagatha getting hurt, Bjorn turns back to his family roots and he starts concerning himself much more with her. And he was going to stay behind. 
But it just so happened that that one guy pushed him into the boat, which seems kind of convenient, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I loved Ragnar's heroism in that, that he was going to stay behind. He was going to try and satisfy his revenge. Uh, it's just that fate wouldn't let that happen. And I keep wondering how the seer was seeing all of this. Was he seeing it through Floki? And I, I want to touch a little bit more on that later. Um, but again, it, it almost seems like when Floki cut his hand, you know, that uh, that's when things started going differently. And then Lagertha got hurt. Uh, and that's what really pulled Ragnar out of it and, and caused the retreat more or less, even though it was, uh, again, accidental. Ragnar was ready to die, um, that, and that was, that was great. But he did take the time to take care of his family. Family came first to Ragnar, and um, that whole chain of events is uh, basically what led to, I wouldn't necessarily say a draw, but uh, at least nobody between Ragnar and Rolo died. And I think that that's why you see the seer becoming agonized the last time that we see him, um, because he realizes that his, uh, his chance, his own dreams are not going to be fulfilled. And I guess that brings me to this time jump, which I was totally surprised by that. And, and I have to admit, I was kind of a little disappointed in that, to be honest, because they left so many things open for interpretation or for question, like, is Lagertha okay? Uh, we don't see any Torvi in the time jump. We don't see any Harold Finehair or Halfdan in the time jump. Are they okay? Um, not that I care about them that much, but uh, in terms of the interest of what their future at Kattegat might be, then I want to know where they are. And, and those are some of the questions which you, you just can't possibly answer because there's no information given to us. And the problem with the time jump for me was the fact that we didn't see any apparent ramification of Bjorn finding out about Siggy either. And we see that Floki is still not a seer, obviously. So now my crackpot, I think it's more of a question than a theory, but my question is, I don't remember seeing the seer after Floki cut his hand. So was, again, Floki cutting his hand um, the reason the connection was lost and maybe the whole reason that the prof prophecy wasn't fulfilled is there some kind of mystical connection that since that connection was lost, uh, then the event of Floki becoming the seer will never happen? Obviously, Ragnar hasn't died many years later since we're in the time jump. So were all of these things connected? And because Floki got hurt somehow, did that change anything? Um, because it seemed like they spent an awful lot of time focusing on his hand bleeding like that. Um. And while I liked Floki being really fierce in the battle and the way he called out Rolo, I really loved all of that. But what I absolutely loved was Floki in this time jump. Even though if it proves me wrong about a lot of things that I've been suspecting all season, you people have been trying to tell me all season, in fact, that Floki did forgive Ragnar and did still love Ragnar. And it wasn't really apparent to me until this this time jump where when Bjorn and him are talking about the settlement in Wessex, you realize that he could have betrayed Ragnar at any time about that if he knew that that settlement had been hurt and that Ragnar had killed that farmer in order to keep it a secret. He could have betrayed, he could have betrayed Ragnar at any time 
and yet he didn't. And so that shows that he truly never lost his faith in Ragnar. Um, and that made me feel good, to be perfectly honest, because I was always worried about Floki being manipulated by Aslog. I was worried about Floki using his own kind of uh, ambition for being the seer um, as a way to get at Ragnar, or that if he had to get at Ragnar be to, in order to fulfill that, that he would go ahead and do that. But it is clear that he has been remained true to Ragnar this whole time. And that was just a beautiful revelation for me. Something you guys, again, have been trying to tell me all season. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I just, I was too skeptical. I just didn't know uh, what to think of that. And so uh, I'm glad to be wrong about that. Plus, we've got our old Floki back. He's just chirpy and quirky and giggly. And he's building ships for Bjorn's map quest. And another thing that's noted here is that this time jump, you know, I don't know if Bjorn and Floki really ever made amends between their their time that Floki was accused by Bjorn about Athelstan and the time they got to Paris. Um, it seemed like they certainly tolerated each other. They weren't threatening to kill each other at anything like that at that point. But you can definitely see that in the years since, their bond has grown and Floki has become as important to Bjorn as he was to Ragnar. And all Floki needs is love, right? That's all Floki needs. He just needs to be loved by his king. He needs to, he needs a king that believes in the gods. That's all Floki needs. And then he's he's master engineer at your disposal, which is great. Plus, Helga looked fantastic. I love seeing Helga so healthy and everything uh, and seemingly back to normal, not nearly as spacey as she was back in the, the Portage episode. So that was fantastic. Um, she did heal up awfully nicely, though. You would think that with the kind of burns that she had before that there would there would be at least be scars, but evidently not. Maybe Floki's runes really did work that well. Um, so there you go. And, and now... This is exciting. I don't know if, if this next half of the season is going to put Floki and, and Bjorn on, on their Mediterranean adventures or not, but I'm looking forward to seeing that when it does eventually happen. But of course, Bjorn's really got more than just one fish to catch in this time jump, to, to, to use a really bad metaphor for the first shot. Uh, but uh, let's look at, at the whole Aslog thing. And his relationship with her, I mean, again, this time jump doesn't seem to reveal anything that might indicate that there was a ramification for Bjorn about Siggy's death. Um, or if so, then it's long since passed. So Aslog ha has escaped that, more or less. And Aslog has really taken a lot of pleasure in revealing the dark side of Ragnar, still, even years later. Um, and I suppose that's to try and keep herself in power. And she, it would seem that she is ruling Kattegat, just like the very first prophecy that we saw with her and the seer at the beginning of the season. She asked if a woman would rule Kattegat and, uh, basically the seer told her yes. So, um, she has achieved that. That is one of the seer's prophecies that was fulfilled at the end of this half season so far but even as aslog is kind of uh, again almost reveling in the in the idea of revealing to bjorn about 
how his father may not be so good with this uh, thorn hall or whatever that revealed the whole thing about Magnus and about Wessex, which there's a lot of info dumped there. And um, unfortunately, it's the only information that we get about England in this episode, really, is that Eckbert is still in power, evidently, these many years later. And it's the settlement thing, of course, that, that Bjorn has to take out to the cabin to see the other boys, or um, men, I suppose we should say now. By the way, is that cabin supposed to be the same cabin that Ragnar kept Edu in? Because I'm not sure. Or is it a different cabin? If it's the same cabin that Ragnar kept Edu in, then yeah, you would suspect that uh, evidently Ragnar's been gone for a very long time, as Aslug says, uh, for years as she continues to drink and drink and drink. She seems more and more like Cersei Lannister every time I see her, honestly. Um, anyway, back to Bjorn, the boys, and once he gets out to the cabin, we see the boys have all grown up now. And I kind of wonder if part of the reasoning behind doing this time jump isn't only to, to try and kind of accelerate events so that we can see these boys become great warriors and whatever as men, but also uh, because uh, there are a lot of problems with having uh, a ton of child actors around. And that's nothing against child actors or anything. It's just the logistics of it. There's, there's schooling. There's whether you need doubles or not because they can only be allowed to work for a certain amount of time period, um, at least in the U.S. Now, with Canada and with Ireland, I have no idea what those child actor rules are, but I can't imagine that they'd be that much different. So... From a showrunning standpoint, I, I think that's another reason why you had Agita die and why you had Bjorn grow up so fast uh, in earlier seasons is because child actors um, can be logistically a nightmare for a television show. I wonder if that same reasoning applied here. But uh, again, the end result is that it's going to get us a lot closer to how great these sons of Ragnar are going to become. And... I, for the most part, I don't know if I, I just didn't really dig into the older versions of these characters too much. Uh, didn't pay a whole lot of attention to them, especially in this cabin scene, I, because I think mainly I was still reeling from the fact that there was a time jump at all. And it didn't really hit me to really evaluate too much about the characters themselves until after the show was over. But I, I got to say that nothing really stuck out to me as too bad. Um, I found Bjorn's talk with the boys, uh, especially to be very touching, especially listening to this uh, Ragnarism that we had. And especially when you consider about how much resentment that Bjorn had for his father in regards to his mother uh, for a long time. Um, this, is a, this is a nice uh, a tribute by Bjorn to his father. And I, I think the reactions uh, of each of the kids, um, not so much kids now, the men, the brothers, they they were pretty good. I mean, you would expect Ivar to be the fearless one with the way he talks and, and the most conqueror-like, you know, in the references to Paris and everything. And you would expect Fitzerk and, and Sigurd to have the resentment that uh, Bjorn demonstrated as a child because they're the ones that uh, were the most impressionable really I mean think about the way Sigurd was about Harbert even so um, given all of the childhood scenes uh, that all pre pretty well matches up and you would also expect I think Uba to approach all of this from the standpoint of an intellect because we saw 
Ubebe very uh, intellectual um, as a child. So I thought that the the basically showing the characteristics of those guys as children really kind of rang through with the with the older versions of them. And then, of course, you have the best possible way you can ever have to end a season, and that's with Ragnar just being all crazy Ragnar. That was awesome. Uh, it seems like he's cleaned up. It also seems like he was expressing a little bit of remorse uh, for the things that he had done wrong. But mostly, I think the vibe that came through for me was that he just wants his kingdom back, baby. And as far as him addressing his kids, until he does express that little bit of remorse, it doesn't seem like his perception of them has changed any any more than it was before. I mean, that comment to Ivar was actually pretty snide. And I think that's pretty typical of the way that Ragnar had looked at Ivar all along. Um, as, unfortunately, is kind of a disappointment, even though Ivar probably, in terms of conquering, is the most like Ragnar of any of them. And then his challenge to everyone taking that kingship away from him was actually just his way of uh, thumping his chest and reasserting his position of power. So um, that was a great way to end the half season for sure. And that's really all I have, except I do have one final question. Um, How do you guys feel about this time jump? Do you think they'll just keep marching forward from this time jump? Uh, which actually seems the the most likely to me. But would you like it if they did have some flashbacks as they go forward in this time jump, which might fill in some of the gaps for us that we have questions about? Or will they just going to, again, leave that up to the imagination and kind of up to interpretation and and question? Uh, And as far as getting an answer to that, I suppose we will just have to hang on and see uh, but again, thought it was a great way to, to launch us into waiting in, in great anticipation to see what's next for all of the Vikings in the second half of season four, which I don't have any official word on, on when it's coming out yet. Um, I admit that if they did announce it uh, any time in the last couple of days, I just flat missed it. Um, the last slate that I heard was fall of 2016 by the History Channel. So it's going to be a while before we get answers to any of these questions that we may have that the midseason finale left us with. And that's officially it for my review of the episode itself other than my writing. And I will say again, I found the time jump a little disorienting and I'm not sure whether I should make that as something that I should score as a four in re- in terms of my rating or as an against in terms of my rating, uh, because it is just disorienting to me. Um, but if this is where they intend on going with the show, they definitely ended the time jump with the, the best way that they possibly could with Ragnar coming back and trying to take his kingship back. The battle scenes in this episode were great. I, I was disappointed that there was no last look at the whole Wessex Mercia storyline other than, you know, again, the mention in the, in the uh, time jump. I loved that Charles is actually a lot more than he led on to everybody all season, mainly because that's the one thing I was right about all season. Uh, so I'm going to give this up a, a straight nine. Um, it wasn't my favorite episode of the season, actually. My favorite episode of the season, I think, was probably... 
um, Ragnar uh, reaching out to Helga when Angerboda died. That one just really got me emotionally. But this one was very exciting. And I'm looking forward to see where we go next with this group of crazy kids. And with that, it's time to get into trying to describe the episode in three words. I have mine and some of yours next. Okay, three words. This is where you try to describe the episode in three words, or your feelings about the episode in three words, or maybe the scene that most impacted you, you can describe in three words. You get the drill by now, after ten episodes of doing this, and we've got some great submissions from some of our listeners, but I'll start with mine. I actually have several sets. Uh, The one set that probably should be the standard for every single podcast that I do when I do a three-word segment is, I was wrong. I was wrong about a lot of things. I'm going to throw in one little caveat and say, I was right, at least about one thing. And then uh, describing the episode, uh, something that really impacted me, the huge time jump. Huge time jump. Uh, there's a three words that I would use because I really was disoriented by that. And then Rolo's glorious day, because I actually enjoyed seeing Rolo um, get some love for once rather than just hate. Even though I know we're all supposed to hate him for what he did to, to the Vikings, but um, I felt like Rolo has served his time in terms of being in his brother's shadow. So it's good to see him moving on to other things. How about some tweets from y'all? Like, at CutePoison10 are one of my favorites. Christine, she's actually the one that talked me into doing this podcast. Um, Job Vacancy King. (laughs) Very good. Uh, And at Fat Monster, our buddy Matt, who we'll hear in a voicemail later on as well, says, Great Punch-Off or Fall of Ragnar. Very good, Matt. At Two Fangirls, our friend Robin, who, glad that you're back, Robin. Thanks so much for submitting. That was intense. That's a great way to describe somebody's feeling for this episode. And then we have at XHanna91, who is our friend Shanna, who says, My three words are defeated, not dead. Very good. That's excellent. And uh, on Twitter, the last one on Twitter is our friend Jenny. At Mischief Forever, just one F, sharing the mischief and the forever, if you're going to follow them on Twitter. And their three words are Sins of Ragnar. Very good, very good. And finally, an email from Bridget, who normally submits via voicemail, but she couldn't this week, evidently. So her three words via email, nothing is finished, and goes on to say, okay, the brother and sister are finished, but they gave me the creeps anyway. Amen to that, Bridget. Uh, they gave me the creeps, too, so I'm glad to see them gone. Uh, and plus, it proves me right about Charles, so of course I'm glad to see that. Uh, but very good three words. And the next segment that we're going to do is the Frig of the Week, where you try to pick the best coupling of the week for the episode. For that is next.
the frig of the week well what is that you might ask well it's the best coupling of the week and that doesn't necessarily mean two people it can be a person and an object it can be a person and an idea or a concept um i don't know if you could put two concepts together or two objects together that might seem a little weird or a little abstract for this show um but usually a person in just about anything be it another person or anything else uh that typically works and mine this week are Charles and Slinus. Yes, sir. He pulled one over on everybody. And now he's still sitting pretty on top. Shows you how maybe uh, he's managed to stay there for a long time, despite the fact that he's probably not the world's greatest ruler of Paris. Uh, but he still manages to be able to stay there because he is sly. Uh, have some tweets. First one again from at cutepoison10. Christine, thank you so much. Bjorn and Floki. That's a good one. Can't wait to see what adventures they're going to go on. At Fat Monster, our friend Matt. Ragnar and Hubris. Very good. At Two Fangirls. That's with the number two and the letter Z. That's Robin, and she says their frig of the week is Ragnar and Rolo. What a great episode. Very good, and I agree. And at xhanna91, our friend Shanna says, My frig was Rolo and Ragnar. That fight scene was incredible. I was on tender hooks. Um, everybody was on hooks, including Ragnar. He was on a hook for a second, too. Uh, and at Mischief Forever, just one F sharing all of it. Uh, says Rolo and Princess Gisla. Oh, I do. I'm. I agree. I think that their their um their relationship has really blossomed this season. And and surprisingly enough, even though they're not for the Vikings anymore, um, I enjoyed seeing that. I think that that's great. And then we have uh Bridget with an email saying Bjorn and the Mediterranean. Amen. Can't wait to see him go to the Mediterranean with Floki, no less. And that's great stuff, folks. Thanks for submitting all season long, uh, all 10 episodes. Some of you have been with me submitting uh, all of these great three words and brothel mates and such. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me with your ideas about the episode. Speaking of ideas about the episode, we have some feedback that's coming up next. Love can make it Take my heart and please don't break it Love was made for me and you For me and you For me and you For me and you Hello Matt and the rest of the Ragnar Cast listeners This is Matt My Twitter handle is at FatMoster that's F-A-T-M-O-S-T-E-R. This was quite the episode. They wrapped up a lot of things awfully quickly, uh, kind of anticlimactic, and then a huge flash forward at the end. Uh, 
I rated this episode an 8, maybe an 8.5, but talking about how silly some of the scenes were, I'm going to call it the great punch-off at the end with uh, Roland and Ragnar just hitting each other, you know, back and forth for, what, 40 blows? Kind of a strange way. I wonder if they ran out of money as far as for chore- choreography. Also, I thought it was funny when Bjorn shot the arrow and it missed uh, Rolo by three inches. They didn't really explain that. Man, if Bjorn could shoot that well, why didn't he just shoot Rolo then? Uh, the flash forward was pretty strange. I agree. I'm not really taken by any of the sons as far as their small uh, amount of acting so far, except for Ivar, which I think was an obvious choice. And uh, seeing Ragnar come back at the very end, though, was, was very exciting to me. I was afraid that maybe we'd lost him, and this was the Ragnar-less cast from now on. But I just wanted to say thanks so much, Matt, for doing this. I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Really enjoy getting all the feedback from everybody else, too. It's a great podcast, and everybody tell your friends. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. All right, Matt. Thanks again so much for that great voicemail, and thanks for the compliments about the podcast. Um, As wrong as I am, I wouldn't think that you would like listening much anymore, but I appreciate you taking the time to listen and uh, um, acknowledge things that I do. Uh, And as far as your thoughts, they're great as well. Folks, by the way, I think Matt does a podcast of his own called Dropping Knowledge. Check it out. Uh, I think they're on SoundCloud and iTunes and just about everywhere you can find a uh, a particular uh, podcast, uh, a podcatcher. I'm pretty sure that Dropping Knowledge, you'll be able to find it on there. Tweet Matt at Fat Monster as he spelled it out there in his voicemail and find out what he's up to podcast-wise. Um, about the anticlimactic ending. Yeah, I suppose if you were looking for a death then that would definitely uh, have been anticlimactic. And as far as them punching each other out, I, I think what that demonstrated to me more than anything else was how unwilling either of them were to relent. Although I would have liked to see one of them try to grab a sword at one point. But the whole thing with Ragnar getting the, the hook in him there for a second and getting dragged away, um, that may actually have been what have saved one or the other one you know, in terms of uh, who would have gone down first, and that might have been the end if somebody had actually gone down. Now, as for Bjorn, uh, why not shooting Rolo later? Uh, To me, I think that Bjorn is so precise that that was a warning to Rolo that death would come to him if he tried to do this. Um, But also because his father had told him in the prior episode that he'd come for for Rolo. He wasn't, he didn't care about Paris, but he'd only come for Rolo. Um, I don't think Bjorn would have, uh, felt right. He, he knew that this was his father's revenge. And so he was going to let his father have that revenge and he was just going to take care of everything else as it came. So once he issued that warning to Rolo, that hatred of Rolo, uh, I think he felt justified in terms of his own feelings about it and was going to let his dad, actually take care of business from there on. Um, Ivar being a good casting choice and not sure about the others. Um, yeah, you know, I felt like that at least the writing gave us uh, the idea of which kids were which, which without any problem. Uh, between their expressions about their father 
and the way it was expressed, I think, as I put in the podcast earlier, and the way that Ragnar kind of looked at each of them in the same way that I think that he looked at all of the younger versions of the kids as well when he showed up. And it was good to see Ragnar at the end. We don't have to change the name to the podcast, the Ragnarless cast, uh, at least any time uh, during the hiatus. Let's just put it that way. We'll have to see what happens when the second half of uh, season four comes in. Uh, long 20 episode season folks isn't it great we're going to get so much vikings this year plus an order already for season five so that's all very good now let's get to some tweets here that we received the first one from at cute poison 10 on twitter who said it was a fantastic episode 10 out of 10 loved it the music this week was amazing thanks for doing the podcast matt i appreciate it uh, p.s no snake in siggy's eye very interesting. Good point. Uh, I didn't notice that, but um, I'll take your word for it, and I'm not sure why they did that, Did decided not to do that. Now, uh, this tweet from at xhanna91, that's our friend Shanna, who says, wow, did not see that coming. I was sure that Rolo was gone, but I'm glad he's not. Did not see that massive time jump coming but it made me so excited for the rest of the season. Kattegat really seemed to be thriving without Ragnar. Oh my gosh, how creepy was grown-up Ivar. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I really did love the fact that, and it's weird to say, but it seems that under Aslog's rule, um, there's a lot of great stuff going on at Kattegat. Uh, a lot of foreign trade going on at Kattegat. And I guess that was starting to happen a little bit when the guys returned from Paris the first time at the beginning of the season. Uh, but nonetheless, it seems to really be uh, taken off the mark now. And that's something about the Viking culture. You know, they weren't just raiders. They were also became great traders. And, and maybe we're seeing the beginning of that here uh, with everything that's going on at Kattegat in the time jump. So good stuff there, Shanna. And then we have this tweet from Jenny, our friend, who is at Mischief Forever. Again, only one F in there. Who says, I was kind of confused by the time jump. What happened to Lagatha and Torvi? Though I was really thrilled to see a healthy Helga. And I agree with you about all of that. I was disoriented is the best way that I can describe it by the time jump. Uh, and I do have the questions about Lagatha um, and Torvi. Um, I'm not really so much worried about Lagatha, to be perfectly honest. She's a tough old bird. She'll be fine. Um, but Torvi, I, I just wonder if something has happened that managed to have Torvi go away. Um, or did she find her son? I, I think there's a lot of things that flashbacks could answer, but I'm not sure if we're going to get them. Or maybe there's just absolutely nothing wrong. And we're going to find uh, Bjorn and Torvi and uh, I'm guessing about a seven or eight year older son all living together in happiness there in Kattegat when we start the next season. We're just going to have to see. Now, uh, finally, I have this email from Bridget, who normally sends us a voicemail, but she had to send an email this week. It says, before I get to this week's episode, I wanted to share some thoughts about last week's podcast. I totally agree with you about Quinthrith. She was a queen, after all, and there should have been more repercussion. 
even in those times. I think Magnus might have something to say about her death in the future. Also, good call on the connection between poor young Siggy, older Siggy, and Harbard, and in the cold water. I feel so bad for both of them. And again, Matt, you are right. Both Siggies clearly had no happy future ahead of them. And considering what you said about Torvi shooting Erlander, I was wondering why she had done it in public. She had plenty of opportunities, but I think you nailed it. Now there will never be a question as to why she had to do it. Okay, on to this last episode, The Last Ship. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10 rating. It deserved more, if only for the amazing visuals, but I feel like we are missing an entire episode between Paris and Kattegat. I have too many questions left. This episode was hard for me to handle. We were just leaving the scene of the battle when we are suddenly back at Kattegat many years later. Is Lagertha alive? I watched it twice and could not find her. Why did the statue of Mary cry? I love how this show makes the leap that magical things are possible, and I do think that the statue was crying for Rolo. Ivar only gets weirder and weirder. I was so sad to see Ragnar return to his sons, and they had their swords drawn. I hope that no one steps forward to fight Ragnar. A prediction. The show will split with Bjorn and Floki heading to Rome with an army, and Ragnar going to Paris with a few sons for revenge. I'm thinking that Ragnar and Rollo will kill each other, maybe at the foot of that crying statue. As for how Bjorn fares in the Mediterranean, if I am right about Rome, well, history tells us what happens in Rome when the Vikings visit. Spoiler alert. Again, well done, Matt. You've taken a really great TV show and turned it into a great real-world experience for us. Keep up the good work, and thank you for your time and effort. Skoll! Uh, and thank you uh, very much for those kind words, of course, Bridget, and for your great thoughts. Um, the statue thing, I, I really, I, like I said, I don't know if I give it any more than just to be a metaphor for us to think, or a misdirect for us to think that perhaps Rolo was going to die. Could just have been a leak in the ceiling. No. Um, yeah, I think that it was supposed to be about a battle of the gods. And really, when you think about a Christian god, um, the way many people perceive the Christian god is that um, a Christian god would be sad for all of the deaths that were going to happen on that day. Um, but I do like what you bring up about the whole connection of the mysticism. And uh, we had, uh, you know, one god on one side being um, very sad and another god on the other side speaking through the seer, so to speak, or the seer being connected with all of the gods and the prophecies, uh, being at first very excited and then very anguished. So it was just kind of a sad day all around for everybody. Nobody came away from that, um, you know, any better off than they were before. The status with Paris is much the same. The status with the Vikings is not any better for sure. So um, if you want to interpret it in those ways, I guess you can. And as far as the questions go, yeah, I'm not really so much worried about Lagertha. 
Um, she is my favorite, but I don't think there's any chance that we're going to see her go away since we didn't actually see her die. Um, I don't think they could have done that time jump, uh, if she had actually died, but I do think we're supposed to be asking that question. So very good there and great thoughts about everything else. I agree with almost all of that. So thank you so much folks, uh, for writing in with all of these great thoughts or calling in with all of these great thoughts all season long. And I have one last set of poll results to give you. We only had eight votes on the poll. Actually, I didn't get to spend because I've been so busy playing, um, this weekend. I didn't get much of a chance to, to promote the poll like I normally do. Um, but we did get three different kinds of votes. We didn't get that many votes, but we did get three different kinds and we shook it out with a tie for second place at eight out of 10 and nine out of 10. They each got 25% of the vote with two votes apiece. And then we had 10 out of 10 was your winner with a full 50% of the votes that came in. Now, like I said, there's been no official word as to a date as far as I know, that Vikings will return with the second half. Um, it does seem there's going to be a full summer hiatus before they return, and it says they will return in the fall. Well, what does that mean? Fall technically is after September, what, 20th or something like that uh, for most of the northern hemisphere. So I have to think that it's going to return late September, early October, at best until we get back and also due to my touring schedule and on all of the things that I do professionally I just don't really have time to start that season one rewatch that I'm itching to start and look at it in the context of all these things that we've been seeing um, but we will definitely return uh, when the new season of Vikings returns and I thank you all so much uh, again, for listening, for your participation, uh, for the buzz you're giving the podcast uh, to your friends or or to other podcasts, I uh, really appreciate that. You all have been super fantastic. It's been great to talk to all of you on Twitter or to hear your thoughts as you've sent in emails. And I can't wait to share the second half of the season uh, when we come back again in the fall. Um, so please do not unsubscribe. I will be coming back when the show comes back. And again, talk to me about this show. That's what I want. I want to hear other people's thoughts more so than you just hearing mine. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you when Vikings returns. And I guess I should say Skull. Bye. Contact the podcast by emailing ragnarcast at gmail.com or by calling 314-669-1840. Tweet to the podcast at ragnarcast. Please leave the podcast a written review on your podcatcher and find all back episodes and other links at ragnarcast.wordpress.com.